and I pulled out the contract and I read it and I reread it and I went, Oh fuck, I don't own the company anymore. Wow. And I just went into this massive depression. I met today's guest about four or five years ago at Camp Maverick. Uh, if that sounds familiar, it's probably because you heard the episode with Yannick Silver, the owner and founder of Maverick 1000, who also hosts the event Camp Maverick. Uh, today's guest is Brian Smith, and he's the founder of the UGG Company, which has produced the world's most recognizable boot, the UGG boot. I'm sure you have seen it a dozen times. Brian is also a master storyteller and the author of The Birth of a Brand. You can get the link for that in the show notes below. Ladies and gentlemen, get comfortable because this is one of the best business stories I've ever had the pleasure of hearing. There are so many ups and downs. It's definitely going to make your head spin. It is my pleasure to bring on Brian Smith to the show. Let's get started. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Hierarchy of Needs podcast. My name is Tim Palladino, and this is the show for entrepreneurs who want a higher value life and business. Brian, thank you so much for being here. It looks like wherever you are, it is very sunny. <laughs> California, we're in the middle of a haze right now, but the temperature's Temperature is great, so you know, can't complain. Very cool, very cool. Um, it's an honor to have you here. Uh, it was an honor to meet you uh, a few years ago um, at Camp Maverick, uh, produced yeah, by that was you know, a great event. Yeah, man, it was it was it was literally a life changing event because after I had met with you and I met with all those entrepreneurs and it really put a lot of things in perspective. I sold my business months after. You know, as yep. we were just talking about, I I took all that I learned and and I put it into practice immediately and went right home and said, this business isn't for me, you know, offered it to. Yeah. yeah. And then there it was, it was sold. It was gone. And I started all over again. Yeah. So that, that's uh, not an easy thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was exciting and terrifying all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, situation so speaking, all- speaking of starting, right. What tell us about the, 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 the Genesis and the, the starting of, of Uggs. Sure. Well, let's go back 42 years ago now uh, to Perth, Australia. I had just spent 10 years studying to graduate as as an accountant, and I hated accounting, but I didn't want to give up. So uh, I quit the day I graduated. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I spent a few weeks uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And and, uh, I was driving home. Uh, one day and I heard this song come on the radio and I went straight, I missed from my house. I went straight to the record store and, and bought it because the words of this song was, was the, it was, it was uh, Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon. Oh yeah. And the words of the second song was, you know, tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And you know, here I was with no, no, no idea what I'm going to do. And then it said, and then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And man, my body just got covered in goosebumps. And I went, shit, you're right, you know. And uh, so uh, I I was started yoga back then. And that that had sort Mm -hmm. of led to meditating. And I remember about a week later, I was meditating one morning and I'm, trying to think what am I going to do? And I, and I got these goosebumps again. And 
I thought, you know, all the big trends in Australia are coming out of California, like Levi jeans and waterbeds and, mm. you know, surf brands and skate brands and stuff. And I said, I'm going to go to California. I'm going to find the next big thing to bring back to Australia. Right. And so literally within two weeks, I, I landed in LAX. I had my surfboard in one hand and, and my suitcase in the other. And I rented a little house in Santa Monica. And the first thing I did was go straight up to Malibu, which is about 20 miles away, mm. uh, and surf. Because I I'd read these magazines all my life and, and was just dreaming to go surf Malibu. So I did that for you know, a month or two and met a ton of people, but didn't find the next big thing. And uh, so I kept hanging out and looking all the time. And about two months later, it was about September, October, and the, the wind was getting you know chilly and the water was cooling off. And I remember finishing up a surf and I was with my buddy and I was pulling on my sheepskin boots that I'd brought from Australia. And I just got this massive dose of goosebumps to get it. I went, oh, shit, there's no Ugg boots in America. And one in two Australians had some sort of sheepskin footwear. Yeah. You know, so I looked at my buddy Doug and I said, Doug, let's go into business together, man. We're going to be instant millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and every entrepreneur has that sure. moment, you know, and they see no obstacles and it's just like, I see the goal, I'm going for it. And so we got back to my house and, and we did some research uh, on manufacturers in Australia and, and we called up one in Western Australia called Country Leather, guy called George Bircher, and we, we convinced him we'd be great distributors for him in America. And so we had to, you know, find 500 bucks between us and, and send it down there, and we ordered six pairs of samples. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, they arrived, and uh, Doug was going to be the salesman. You know, I was an accountant. I was terrified of sales. So, mm. so he went out on the road, and... He came back about, you know, three weeks later and, and he had about 150 business cards of every shoe retailer and not a single order. And and he says, Brian, they tell me we're crazy trying to sell sheepskin in California. And and I, I knew logically that's a pretty, you know, reasonable statement, but Australia's climate's identical to California. And so I knew that wasn't the reason. And so as an entrepreneur, when you hit a wall, you, 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 you've you got a choice. You give up and walk away or you figure out a way around or over or under it. And so we started thinking laterally and I thought, well, how come all my friends at Malibu think this is going to be the best idea? And it struck us that all the California surfers who'd been down to Australia had come back with a half a dozen pairs of boots for their buddies. And so oh. in the surf community, it was really well known. And so Doug and I said, okay, well, let's go down to the you know, surf shop. So this, this time he made me go on the road as well, you know. So I started off in Malibu and, and started working my way down the coast. So the, the first guy I walked into was, was Con Surfboards and, and I had my little bag of sheepskin boots and I was terrified. I was embarrassed and terrified and, and I, I sort of walked in and I asked for the owner and I, I opened up my little bag and he goes, Oh man, Ugg boots, they're fantastic. I got a pair. What are you doing with those? I said, Well, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of importing them into America. Oh my God, you're going to make a fortune. I, all my friends love them, you know. And I thought, 
whoa, shit, this selling isn't so hard, you know? <laughs> so went to the next store, you know, opened up my bag. Oh, sheepskin boots, man. Yeah, I don't own them, but all my friends have got them. They rave about them. You know, you're going to make a fortune. And this happened all the way down the coast, you know, all the way down to the Mexican border. And Doug was doing the same inland in the valley. And we met up and we realized that we're going to be like instant millionaires. But we never stopped to think that we didn't ask for an order right? Oh, we we didn't have any inventory. So, I mean, what was the point, you know, but we knew we were on fire. So we, uh, you, you know, we needed capital. And, and you know, that oh. saying that once you start out on a path, the universe will conspire to work with you. Sure. Okay. It's a thousands and thousands <clears throat> of years old, that saying. And I was talking to Doug about how we needed capital. My roommate overheard us and he said, Hey, there's some guys at my, my office who are, looking for investments, let me tell him. And so just like that, without a business plan or, you know, anything to show, we, we raised 20 grand, which in today's money is about 75 grand, you know? Yeah. And uh, and we sent 15 down to Australia and ordered 500 pairs of boots and uh, kept the other 500, uh, 5,000 for a little bit of advertising in the surf magazines, yeah? And, uh, you know, the, the boots arrived now at the end of November, and uh, so we put them all in the third bedroom of my, my house in Santa Monica, which is now the international headquarters of UG, you know. Nice. And, <laughs> and so we filled up our, our you know, cars and, and big, huge duffel bags full of product. And we both went back on the road again. So I went back to Con Surfboards and I, and I opened up this huge bag and I said, okay, Jim, how many pairs do you want? And he, he goes, oh, Brian, you know, well done, man, but you know, we couldn't sell them in our store. They're way too expensive. And we just sell surfboards and trunks and flip-flops. Oh, and, wow. But don't worry, you're going to do great in the shoe stores, you know? And I just went, oh, shit. And I walked to the next store. Hey, bro, well done, man. But, you know, we just sell surfboards and bikinis and trunks. They're, they're way too expensive for us. You're going to kill it in the shoe stores. And this happened all the way down the coast, you know, to Mexico. Took about a week, you know? And we regrouped back in my house and uh, we tallied up the orders for the first year's sales of Uggs and it was 29 pairs. Oh, it just, no. It just happened to be exactly $1,000, you know. And, you know, that, that was sort of depressing. But in retrospect, I, I got, you know, a different view of that. And that's when, you know, years later after I'd sold the company, I wrote a story about the whole process, mm -hmm. you know, it's called the birth of a brand. And uh, it basically tracks from the aha conception all the way through to the sale of ARG. It's a, it's a brilliant book. It's not just a sales book or a business book or anything. It's a book about life and being an entrepreneur and, mm -hmm. and being taken from the highs of the, you know, the inspiration to the, to the desperate lows of like 29 pairs. Yep. <laughs> but the theme of it is that that doesn't matter what, whether it's a, you know, you look at the, the Wall Street Journal, right, and, and all the companies there, they all started with $1,000 sales, right? Yeah. And the theme of the book is that you can't give birth to adults, right? Mm. Everything starts with conception, the idea, and then the first you know, birth, the first, like buying six pairs was the birth of Ugg, right? That was yeah. the, the first act, action. And then 
every business just lies there and it lies there and and you got to keep feeding it and you know changing the diapers and and it just seems like it's never going to work but then eventually it'll start toddling and that's yeah. for a business you know when people are writing articles about you in the magazines and newspapers and the first true believers are getting product and telling their friends and and that's a really really cool stage but that quickly goes into the youth stage where you've got consistent orders coming in and the accounting and shipping is working the you know the warehouse is great and sales force is on board you know and you can run a business you know up to 20 million bucks in that youth phase yeah but if it's a really great service or a product like agua's it'll hit the teenage years and do you recall when you're a teenager at school you wanted to be at every party in town yep. on a Saturday night <clears throat> It's the same in business. You want to be in every major trade show and you want to be in all the mass retailers and yeah. it can absolutely kill you so fast if you're not careful. And I almost lost Doug a couple of times during that phase because everybody wanted it, you know, and yeah. you have to really scale back and see what you can control. And then, then it becomes a mature company and, and you can grow at a much better pace. But that was a really, really interesting period for me. And... Uh, you know, that's what led to that that book. You can't give birth to adults. It it makes so much sense too. And it's it's I've been in that situation too. Yeah. Where, I'm sure when you sold your last company and then tried to figure out getting the podcast going, you know, I bet you went yeah. through the same phase. There. Oh yeah. There's there's nights and sometimes days where I just stare at the ceiling. And it's like, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, something happened. Something right. happened. Yeah. 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 And uh, luckily, something always does happen. You know, it's yeah. um, all takes a little bit of faith in yourself. And yeah, yeah. If you let me just carry on with that that uh, philosophy that the universe conspires. You know, sure. Uh, to make you understand how that works, and your listeners can understand how that works. When's the last time you saw an advertisement for a refrigerator? <laughs> right. Oof, I don't probably know. can't remember. Right. Yeah. If you needed one this Saturday. You would start seeing refrigerators. You'd, you'd be mm. at Starbucks and the classified ads and the newspaper would be on open at uh -huh. refrigerators. You'd be driving down the street and look in a window and there's refrigerators, right? And so what that philosophy means is that until you start out on a path, you're never going to see the signs. Yeah. Right? But the minute you start with a purpose, it doesn't matter what that purpose is. The minute you start on the purpose – that oh i see that that could work for my business and oh my god i look at look at that over there that i could probably use there's somebody who is doing it similar i could use you know call and so suddenly all of the universe which has already been perfect the universe is perfect everything you could possibly want already exists yeah but until you start on a path you're never going to see the evidence of that. And the minute you do start it in a path, it's going to overwhelm you with how many possibilities there are. So I hope yeah. that sort of explains it a bit better. It does. It does perfectly too, because I noticed that even with myself, like I, I think as humans, we're designed to, when we desire, we can acquire. Like there's, yeah. there's something, there's something in us innately that sets once we, we agree to the path, right. Once yeah. we give ourselves permission to walk down a road, you yeah. will find the right path. Yeah, and I won't go into it deeply, but it's energy. That you know, the mm. the energy you put out has a corresponding energy of, of stuff that's trying to get to you, and uh, and so you're exactly on the right track.
Yeah, it's um, and that's part of the fun, you know. Once once I once I overcame the fear of starting, yep, I it it totally opened up a whole new world to what yeah. is what is yeah. possible. Yeah, the, the greatest fear is that that never happens, right? <laughs> you, you oh know, yeah, you know if you if you get over that fear and just do it, shit. Before you know it, you're on a whole you know you new roller coaster. It's great. Yeah, and it, well, a lot of I think I say it's funny. But like a lot of what we are afraid of is kind of nonsense. Like if yeah. we actually, if someone else tells us out loud, the things that we're thinking, yeah, it would sound crazy. It would sound yeah, absolutely yeah. crazy. So in other words, find a friend that's able to repeat back to you. Yeah. <laughs> let you know how crazy you sound sometimes. Um, so when, when going up and down the coast, did you, did you always have, absolute faith in the the inevitability of UGG becoming what it is? Yeah. Um, the product itself was so good that like mm. everybody who, who put a pair on goes, oh my God, man, these are so comfortable, right? So I knew from Australia that, that one in two Australians own some sort of footwear. That's when it just kept getting desperate all the time. That was really what drove me on. But, you know, I... I after we had that 29 pair, you know, year, mm -hmm. which was like three weeks, right? but that was December 31 is like a season to us. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I was faced with, you know, shit, what do I do? Um, Doug went and got another job. We didn't certainly couldn't pay a salary. Um, and I wanted to give up, but I couldn't cause I had like 400, like, 480 pairs in the warehouse, <laughs> right? Yeah. All my investors' money. So I started doing swap meets and street fairs. And oh, okay. the best thing I did was uh, I, I had a van, a Dodge van, and I loaded the back up full of product and all the sizes and colors and everything. And I'd go surfing at Malibu like early in the morning. And by nine o'clock, I've got the back door of the vans open and I'm open for business. And I started to develop this incredible retail trade out of the back of my van. And, uh, you know, that first you know, January, February, March, before it got warm, I, I sold about four or $5,000 worth of product. Oh, and, that's great. Yeah. And then, you know, the summer came, I had to get a job. I think I was scraping boats at Marina Del Rey for like six months, right? And so the next season I said, okay, I'm going to advertise. So I hired this model and a, you know, two models, a guy and a girl, and we posed them at the beach at Windensea in La Jolla and, you know, the perfect clothing and perfect hair and the perfect yeah. sunset and the waves behind, you know. And I ran those ads. Uh, in October, November, December, and and the sales went to about ten thousand, and I, mm. I was so disappointed. And uh, so the next job, the next summer job, was construction worker in Bel Air, right? So you know, come September, I say, okay, I'm going to get a better looking models and a more expensive photographer. <laughs> we went back to Wind and Sea again, the same posing, you know, perfect hair, and you know. And everything, and we ran those ads in October, November, December, and the sales went to like twenty thousand. And I was just so disappointed uh, to the point where I really wanted to give up. I think that next summer, I worked. I was a um, greenskeeper at a golf course, you know, working maintenance on all of the, you know, fabulous yep. job by the way. But that was <laughs> through that summer, I decided, okay, you know, by October, I'm I'm going to just sell off the rest of the inventory and get out of business. And uh, the, 
first storm hit the coast, which is about October when the third, the wind switches to the north and big storms come through. Okay. And I remember getting home from from the you know the golf course and soaking wet, and uh, I put on my answering machine and there's like 20 messages from all these retailers going. Brian, I need Ugg boots, man. Everybody's coming into our store today. They want Ugg boots, you know. And, I, and like one after the other, it was the same thing. And I said, oh, shit, I can't even get out of business, right? And, That's funny. Uh, so I ended up, you know, I had a lot of products. So I ended up, you know, that most of them drove down to, to, to you know, where I live to, to pick up the product because I didn't want to mm-hmm. wait for UPS and everything. And so... You know, that's when I realized, okay, I'm going to have to give it another shot this winter. And I got more product ordered from Australia. And uh, before I ran the ads, I, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of check things out with my buddy who owns South Coast Surf Shop, you know, one of my local guys. And I was in his store and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know okay, how to advertise. I don't know, you know, nothing's, you know, clicking. And he just said, oh, shut up, Brian. And he calls out back to all these little 12, 13-year-old grommets, you know, hanging out there. He mm-hmm. says, what do you guys think of UGG? And every one of them, oh, man, those UGGs, they're so fake. Have you seen those, <laughs> seen those advertisements? Those models, they can't surf. And, like, instantly I oh, went, that oh, that makes so much sense. Shit, I'm sending the wrong message to my target market, you know. And I, I felt foolish at how stupid those ads were. And so I lateral thinking again, you know, when, when you're an entrepreneur, I caught up a buddy who was running this scholastic surf um, championship out of, out of Orange County. And I said, Pete, do you have any young kids who are going to turn pro soon? Because, you know, i got no money, but I can pay them in Ugg boots, you know. Yeah. And so he gave me these young guys, you know, Mike Parsons and Ted Robinson. And so I arranged to meet him and we, we, instead of the posing on this, you know, rock, we, we went to Trestles uh, Surf, which is in San Onofre and Black's Beach in La Jolla. And I just photographed him on the way, you know, with mm-hmm. my little brownie, you know, um, you know. 35 camera. millimeter. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and it was just casual. So there were no surf shots or anything. And, but I got, I picked one where we were walking back from Trestles and these are mile-long walks, you know, and the surf's fantastic. And all the kids yeah. who read Surfer Magazine would die, die to be at that beach. But I figured that, okay, well, I ran the ads with Mike and Ted, and that's, that season the sales went to $220,000. Oh, wow. Why? So this is, this is the end of year three? Yeah, end of year one, two. This is the fourth, fourth season, yeah. Wow, Okay. 220,000. And why is because I met, I figured out what advertising is all about. You never advertise the product. You advertise the feeling, the, the features right. and the benefits and the more emotion you can get into it. Like I knew every little kid reading Surfer Magazine would die to be walking to trestles with Mike Parsons and Ted Robinson. Yeah. yeah. Like they wanted to be in that photo. Now, here's the interesting thing. The first two years of ads, right? The Ugg boot, the, here's a page, and the Ugg boots were about that big, right? Mm-hmm. When I ran Mike and Ted, the photo was that, you know, that big. The, the Ugg boots were like almost, <laughs> almost invisible, right? So I wasn't selling the product. I was selling the, the, hey, you can be with Mike and Ted if you buy a yeah. pair of Ugg boots, you know? And that formula 
worked to, uh, you know, I got it really big in surfing and that spilled over into snowboarding and skiing. And mm-hmm. eventually years <laughs> later, I'm trying to figure out shit. Nobody in the Midwest is buying these. Nobody in back East is buying these. And well, what do the kids do? Oh my God, they play hockey in a rink, you know, and right. their, mom, their mom has to drive them to the rink and they, the moms sit there, they're freezing in 40 degrees. And, and so they're buying them for the boys, but then they realize, shit, these are great boots. I'm going to get some from my daughter. So that was the beginning of women getting into it, you know, yeah. and you know, the story now is like predominantly women, but, but it really took all of that thinking and then, then using that process of getting the cool young kids into being cool and then it sort of boiled over from there so that was a a huge learning experience that if you like develop a piece of software that saves time when you advertise it you don't advertise a photo of the software you know you you pick some guy in the bahamas drinking some rum drink right feed up all the time yeah all the time he's saving because of your product right yeah so you almost have to back into what what the hell do i want my customers to feel and if you can if you can nail that you're going to have success in sales yeah i had a similar experience as a kid i was really into skateboarding wasn't very good but i was into it and i remember the 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 feeling of seeing like steve caballero and all these awesome skateboarders skating and i didn't even realize it was an advertisement right i was just so engaged with the photo and like the you know how they had like the old fisheye lens yeah yeah yeah, and it really took me there subliminally you knew what shoes they wore and and you know what shorts they were wearing and whose yeah. who's t-shirt they had yeah they're, they're all branding issues yeah 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 and it's and it's good too that um that there are such awesome ambassadors to be able to do that yeah yeah it's fantastic so did all the all the sleepless nights end at year four no it was it became a different set of problems you sure. know as uh, you know the it built and built and built to about a million dollars. And, you know, the, that first 20,000 20, bucks we had, you know, we ended up having to buy them back, pay them back with, with a little profit and get a bigger investor in, you know. And then we had to buy them out with some profit and then get a bigger investor. So, so I, when we're doing about three and a half million in sales um, with that investor growth, um, I finally got a new group in. It was it was three guys out of Anaheim, Neil, Paul, and Joe. And 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 I was gonna be, you know, it was split four ways, 25% each, and they were gonna mm-hmm. do all the warehousing, all the shipping, all the accounting and everything. So that was a great deal for me at the time. And but there was two provisos. When, when I didn't get my 25% stock issued until um I settled this little trademark lawsuit that I was in with another sure. company called UGHS, which I knew I'd win. So it was a safe deal. And yeah. the other thing was that I, I was now hundred percent out on the road uh, working. You know, and by now I'm, I'm like Mr. Uggs. So I was a sales right. guru. I, I loved selling Uggs, right? I, <laughs> it wasn't even selling. I, I would drop in all my retailers and they're all now my friends you know we'd play yeah. golf we'd surf together and, and and so it was always a really happy thing to walk into a surf shop you know um and so i went out on the road and uh i got back after the uh, you know before that i had a real shocker the very first you know when i, I moved the warehouse you know all the inventory up to anaheim and i 
I uh, sorted out all of the styles, colors, everything, so they knew how to do it. I gave them the fundamental rundown on the accounting system and the order system and everything. And so that took a week or so, and then I decided to go, okay, I'm going back on the road. So I went down to, you know, from Anaheim, I went down Huntington Boulevard to Huntington Surf and Sport, you know, and, sure. and Kevin there was one of my buddies. And and I walked in, and the and first thing he said was, hey, Brian, I heard you sold the business. I went, what? He said, yeah, I called an order in this morning and they said, you don't own the business anymore. I said, you're kidding me. They said that. Wow. And I was in shock. I finished up with him and I went straight across to the Shell gas station next door because this is before cell phones, you know? Right. And I called up Anaheim and I go, Neil, what the hell are you telling people? He says, what are you talking about? I said, you're telling them I've sold the business. He said, well, yeah, you have. You know, I said, no, I haven't. You're my three new partners. Yeah. He goes, no, if you look at the contract, you don't get your stuff. And I just like just hung up the phone. Oh, and, man, and, you know, man. I, I drove back <laughs> to San Diego and I pulled out the contract and I read it and I reread it and I went, oh, fuck, I don't own the company anymore. Wow. And I just went into this massive depression and I didn't like, I didn't go out and I didn't speak to anybody for three days except my wife, you know, and I, I couldn't even get a cohesive thought together. And I remember on the, the third or fourth night, I was lying on, on my back on the floor watching the TV and the show finished and I, I picked up the clicker and I turned it off and I rolled over onto my stomach and got up on my hands and knees and I started crawling to the bedroom mm. and my wife just looked at me. She's a real quiet person, right? Yeah. She just looked at me and says, you get up now and walk to bed like a man. <laughs> shit out of me, you know. But but as I came off the floor, you know, I, I, I sort of came out of this fog and, and went, yeah. oh, shit, there's so much more to life than this crappy little sheepskin company, you know. And that night I slept like a baby. And so the next morning, I, I'm back to being Brian Smith, Mr. Positive again. Yep. And I started meditating and, and I started thinking, you know, what the hell can I do? You know, was it, uh, you know, sales, like retail, uh, you know, real estate? No. Business broker, maybe. Accountant, never, you know. Mm. And then I got this massive dose of goosebumps again. Because I thought sales, you know, I love falling in love with sales. And then I thought, what can I sell? And that's when the goosebumps hit. So I'm going to sort of segue there and talk about goosebumps, right? Because Let's do it. Yeah. you've had them, right? Oh, God, yeah. You get them. Everybody in the world gets them. And uh, here's my take on goosebumps, you know. God isn't way out there at the end of the universe somewhere. You know, there's a fragment of God in every single one mm. of us. And it has a mission for us in life. And every, I've just come to think every time we make a decision that is propelling us forward in their direction, it tells us, and the only way I can relate to us is through this electrochemical th system called a body, right? And yeah. so these goosebumps appear. And so... I want to challenge everyone listening now or watching that the next time you get goosebumps, stop and just think, what just happened? You know, <laughs> what did I think? What did I just do? Yeah. And I'll bet you anything that it's something that's pretty monumental in, in the direction of your life, you know? Yeah, it's for me personally, it's always been a great indicator. 
it makes me like, yeah, just take take note of what's happening. Yeah, well, I'm just explaining my version of where I think that comes from. And it's this, it's this universal knowledge that says, yep, you're on the right track. So why did I get the goosebumps? I said, Ugg boots, man. So so I uh, you know, called up Anaheim and I and I said, listen, I, I may never own the company, but I'm on a mission to get Ugg boots on everybody in America. So I went back up there and ate humble pie, you know, and mm. and I went back out on the road. And in the first month I got back and I, Neil calls me aside. He said, hey, this is for you. And I opened up a check for $5,000 and that was my commissions. And it was the first money I'd ever pulled out of the business, right? Oh, five wow. Years, five years it took. First money I ever took out. And then the next year, uh, next month, I came back and I got a check for 10000 And the next month, I got another check for 10000 And I couldn't believe that I'm out on the road with my buddies having a great time and I'm making yeah. money for the first time, you know, since I started the business. And that led me to another piece of philosophy. And, and by the way, this book is full of philosophy, right? It's, it's not just a business book. It's a, it's a book about life, you know. And one of the statements is that nearly always your most disappointing disappointments will become your greatest blessings. Nearly, sometimes, nearly always, your, your most disappointing disappointments will become your greatest blessings. And I, I've asked an audience like the, the Inc. 5000 audience, like 2,500 people, you know, put up your hands if sometime in the last year you've had something that happened to you or your business, personal business, which at the time you thought was a great disaster, and now you thank God that happened because of where mm-hmm. it's grown to. And I'd say two-thirds to three-quarters always put their hand up, right? Yeah. So that, that's just a piece of philosophy that, that I've come to realize has great truth to it. Yeah, I the, only thing that, I would, the only thing I would add to that is if you allow it to. Yeah. Because I yep. think that's, that's the key indicator. Yeah, well, that, that's that. Like I, I used to you know, get really pissed off if something bad happened. And I got in the habit of just going, ah, oh, shit, that's good. Yep. Right? Yeah, I did the same good, thing. That's beautiful. Now, what's good about it? And that sets you instead of this negative, oh, poor me, why the universe yeah. is so unfair, what happened to me? Instead of being negative, you turn it positive and it's like, okay, what can I do? And, and bit by bit, things start to fall in place. And event, yeah. you know, give it a week or a month, you'll have something in place that's even way better than what you were doing. Yeah. It's so, so true. Yeah, it may not like resolve you the the current discomfort that you're in. Yeah, but if you if you have enough belief in yourself that you'll be able to, you know, take it apart and rebuild it something beautiful, then yep. that's probably what's going to happen. It it will all the time, all the time. That's great. So so from the the sales, you're going from the five thousand, the ten thousand, and the twenty thousand dollar months. Yeah, do they keep on going? Did it, what was, how did that resolve? It, it, it took on a real steady growth and the, uh, I'm going to sort of take two forks to answer to that, cool. right? Yeah. The first fork is that, that every company has to go through this process of, of, you know, starting out insignificant and there's a great piece of philosophy around that. And, I, I call it the tadpole principle, right? Mm. And the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is just to live every day happily as a tadpole, <laughs> right? 
and there's going to be every one of your viewers uh, thinking, what the hell does that mean? But it, when I come back a year later and meet a group, that, oh, you're the tadpole guy, right? It's the one thing they all remember. And it is such an incredibly true piece of philosophy. So I, I, I'll tell you a couple of stories. One, one was um, when I was starting UGG, there was another company up in Oregon. They were importing these, these uh, uh, nylon running shoes called Blue Ribbon. And mm -hmm. they were trying to go after the, the running, you know, sport. They were advertising in runner's magazine, yeah. trying to get into the college athletic departments, you know, with, with the, the blue ribbons. And then eventually after four or five years, they, they changed their name to Nike right at the right. same time as the sport of jogging arrived, right? And so everyone who's now, oh, I want to be a jogger, they start researching, okay, who's the best running shoe? And because Nike had been grinding along for five years, getting nowhere, the ads started to come up and have significance. And so that drew, drew Nike into, you know, a hundred million and, and a billion, you know, and, and, you know, you know, that story and ironic. Well, I'll tell you another one first. There was another one company in Santa Monica importing these little kid leather dance shoes and they were, advertising in the dance uh, magazines and all the dance studios all across the country. And they were trying to get into the high school cheerleading teams and all of that mm. sort of shit. And then right as the sport of aerobics takes off, everyone says, God, I want these, these aerobic shoes. Well, who's in the market? Well, here's this company Reebok that's been grinding away for five or six years, getting nowhere but trying to get it going and then suddenly this sport takes off and it, it took it with them. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, I recently read that book Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, yeah. the founder of, Ugg, uh, founder of Nike. <laughs> and would you believe that the first, year, the first five years sales of Ugg was greater than the first five years sales of Nike? Really? How staggering is that? that that's wild. It's wild. Luckily, they had a product that worked 12 months of the year and we were stuck right. in this three to four month sales cycle. So it's natural that they their trajectory would go like that. And my trajectory was like that. It would curve faster. Yeah. 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 So the other thing that you, you asked me, what was the question? It was uh, did it keep going steadily? Okay. Yeah. It it did to where to where we were about eight to ten million. And uh, and I'd now, well, you know, I should finish off that story about the Anaheim guys because it's pretty important, right? Yeah, please do. Uh, how long have we got? How much longer have we got? 30 uh, minutes? 20, yeah, 20 minutes. 20, okay. yeah. We, as I, long we as you plenty. want. That's the answer. Got, as long as you plenty, want. I got plenty of time because <laughs> I'm, I'm full of stories. This, this book is just nothing but a full of stories, right? And that's why it's. You know, people think it's a page turner because it's so easy to read. But, but so in the next three or four years, you know, I was now the sales rep and, and I, we started to develop sales reps all over the country. So I was flying off to every single state to work mm. with the reps. You know, I earned about 150, uh, 1.5 million frequent flyer points, you know, just traveling to work with reps over a couple of years. And in that couple of years, Neil, he, he, uh, bought Joe and, uh, and Paul out. So he now mm -hmm. owned 100% of it. And after three years, he said, you know, hey, Brian, come on in. 
you know, we're going to issue your stock. You finish the lawsuit. And uh, I was like on heaven. And uh, he uh, said, let's, you know, we got a real uh, life insurance guy, you know, we took life insurance policies sure. out on each other and we, we got a, a new company car each. And uh, so I'm just on, on cloud nine because the next Wednesday I'm going to have my 25% of the stock, right? And so we're out over the weekend. I'm out over the weekend. And now I've, I've got a cell phone, you know, it's got a, a size of a brick and a big cord for yep, it yep. in my car, right? The hottest, the coolest thing, you know? And, and my wife called me and she was crying and she said, oh, Brian, Neil's just died. <gasps> And he, he'd been in a motocross race and had this massive heart attack and they couldn't revive him, you know, at the hospital. Oh, no. And so my world just, just like imploded. And I go, oh, shit. And I knew that his wife had never set foot in the She had no idea about what UG was, right? It was yeah. just something, something Neil went to, to work for every day, you know? And so I called her up and I said, listen, I'll come up tomorrow and I'll try and figure out what we're going to do. And because my livelihood depended on its survival, sure. you know. And so um, I told her, look, I'll work for the year for free. Um, and I'll just keep taking commissions like normal. If, you know, as we keep selling, I'll keep it alive. And so that began the longest year of my life, man. I, I started off I driving up two and a half hours every morning and back two and a half hours every night. And that, that got really old. So I started getting the train up. Uh, to Anaheim Monday morning and coming back Friday night. I always had a throbbing sore throat every Friday night from being run down. And, oh, and, sure. Uh, and so it was like the best of times and the worst of times. The best was that I'd brought on, just before Neil died, I'd brought on two new colours, black and charcoal, and the sales reps had all the samples out, and that was just kicking ass, you know, mm. so, and along with the regular colours, right? Yeah. So that was a really good thing. But the negative side, there was two. One, I uh, was uh, in touch with my manufacturer mm. and he just like had three or four really good years of cash flow with Neil. And he, I knew he was going to remember back to when I owned the company. Yeah. And it was never that, you know, I, I always paid him, but I was never sure when, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so he was, he was wary. And uh you know, I started bundling these orders up, you know, 5,000 pairs, and I sent them down to George and, hey, George, you know, how, how's, uh, how's the production going? Well, how are you going to pay me? Don't worry, George. I'm going to raise the money. I'm going to refinance the company. And that was the other worst part of the business, that I, I did a business plan and I started going around to the banks and I was, oh, this is a fad, you know, even though it's been in business 10 years. This is a fad. Right. You'll never be here next year bank after bank after bank because it's a fad. And the investment bankers, all they saw was nothing for six months and this huge peak, you know, October through through January and then nothing. And so they, were, they wouldn't touch it. And we were way too big for friends and family. So I, I had to pivot again. You know, I'm thinking eventually, you know, it was you know, June, well, April, May and June, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting these thousands of pairs of orders and I'm bundling them out saying to George, hey, George, you know, how's the production going? Well, I can't find the black or the charcoal skins, you know, and I go, this bullshit, you know. But it's now July, August, and I knew the big trade show September kicks everything off for the season, you know, the winter mm -hmm. season, and I didn't have any way of getting product in. And, and, you know, the sales are now getting five or six million. 
mm-hmm. pre-orders, not not even counting the season, oh, wow. though, right? And so I'm thinking, shit. Um, and I had to start thinking laterally, you know how how do I raise how do I raise money? And I thought, okay, my best retailers, they would love to see me stay in business. Yeah, well, none of them were interested, not even, <laughs> not even a bit. And then I thought, well, maybe the tannery, maybe there's a tannery who, you know, because the tanneries provide the sheepskin and that's their yeah. livelihood and they would love to maybe have an access out, you know. So I sent a business plan down to a couple of tanneries and one of them was, was this Gordon Jackson from Jackson's Tannery and he come, he got me straight away and said, oh, Brian, this is brilliant. Come on down, you know. So I got did a big COD order to one of my good you know, customers, so I get the airfare and and I hooded hooded up down to Melbourne, and uh, and I met Gordon, a beautiful guy, you know, little little hard, you know, wiry businessman, yep. you know, and he took me all around the factories, and then we got back to his office after lunch, and and on the on the desk I see this big wooden plaque, and it says, "I reserve the right to change my mind," mm-hmm. you know, I went, shit, what does that mean? Oh no, and so. First day was all gung ho. We're doing projections and colors, and and you know, can he get the you know colors out of his tannery? And and uh, the next morning he comes in. Oh, Brian, you know, this is a lot of money, man. You, I just can't take the risk. You know, you're in LA. You know, I'm here in Melbourne. It's just too big a risk. You know. And the next day he comes in. Don't worry, I found a guy in LA who's going to come in and look after you, watch watch over the books and everything. And so we're back into projections and production schedules. And the next morning he comes in and says, oh, Brian, you know, <laughs> it's a family business. And, you know, we had a meeting about it and they, they outvoted me and, you know, we just can't do the financing. And so I left, you know, on the fifth day without a deal. And I got back to, to uh, the, uh, the, you know, the business in LA, in, in, in Anaheim and, the very first person that came in was, was my sales rep for Southern Cal. And she said, hey, Brian, there's a company out here and they're selling Ugg boots and they're, they're claiming they're going to put Ugg out of business. And I just, oh, shit, who are they? And she said, well, it's a Thunderwear, you know. So I looked up the trade magazine and, and Thunderwear, they sell, you know, windsurfing gear, you know, wetsuits and gloves and booties. I said, what the hell? I just threw it away. I said, I, I got bigger problems, you know, than another yeah. competitor, you know? So I went back to trying to figure out how to raise money and I still didn't get it done. And, and now it's September and the big trade show kicks off all of the, you know, the fall sales for the ordering, you know, for mm-hmm. immediate sales. And uh, I talked to my wife and said, yeah, I don't want to tell anybody we're out of business yet. I, you know, I'm not giving up yet. So we agreed to go up and, you know, put the booth up <laughs> and we put all last year's products out because <laughs> we didn't have any new stuff, you know, and uh, we finished setting it all up. And I thought, I wonder where those Thunderwear people are. So I got the, you know, the trade show map out and they're, they're way back near the toilets, you know. So I go walking over to see, well, and I just stopped like one booth short and I just went, oh, fuck. There's all my charcoal, all the black, all the natural, all the oh. sand. And it's all my production from George with the label Thugs on the back, which is Thunderwear and Uggs, right? Oh, my God. I what an that, amazing. That's, like, it's, that's appropriate. Like, you know? Right? 
right? <laughs> oh, that is too funny. And, and that's when I knew I'm out of business, right? And so I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell any of my sales force. You know, we had you know, 10 or 15 of the sales reps from all over the country. And, and I didn't wow. tell anybody. And I, I called my wife and I said, look, I'm just going to run the show out. And we'll call all the best customers on Monday morning and start telling them to go buy thugs because it's all our product, you know? Yeah. And we'll, we'll just regroup and see what happens. And so we got back after the trade show. We, we wrote a quarter of a million dollars in sales in, in three days, which is an absolute record, you know? And yeah. I, knew, I knew we couldn't deliver any of it, but um, we, got, we packed the booth up, went back. And Sunday night, I, uh, the last call I made was to, to Gordon at the, at the tannery. And uh, I said, hey, Gordon, you know, I really want to thank you for the help. But, you know, I just found out George has done an end run around me. He's found somebody else to distribute the boots. And, and I, you know, I just wanted to thank you for all the help. But we're just going to close it down for the year and, and uh, see what happens, you know. And so he was sad and we hung up. And then about 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, the phone rings. He says, Brian, it's Gordon. Screw George Bircher. I'm going to get you all the boots you need. And just nice. like with, with no handshake, no contract, no nothing, I sent the patterns down to him the next day. And he duplicated the patterns for all the style, you know, the colors and sizes. And he sent them out to four or five manufacturers and he cranked his tannery up to full production. And we never got the black or the sand or the you know, charcoal in, but all of the other main colors, which was 80% yeah. business anyway, you know, every fr you know, Friday, it's to, we'd get a delivery from customs, you know, for, you know, from the freight forwarder, you know, started off with 2000 pairs the first week and 5,000 pairs the next week and 5,000 pairs every Friday from, you know, September, October, November and December. And we literally threw away $2 million worth of orders because we couldn't get enough, you know, we were so late in starting. Yeah. But we finished up, you know, at Christmas. And and I remember, you know, when, when, when Christmas Day hits, between Christmas and New Year, it's super quiet around the office because none of the retailers are wanting product yeah. or anything like that. They're all sort of re refreshing as well. And uh, between Christmas and New Year, two really weird things happen, right? One is that the insurance company called us up and they wanted to negotiate a payout, right? And we got a settlement that was just enough for me to buy his widow, Neil's widow out, 100% wow. value plus the profits from the season. And she was like so thankful because she would have been dead without you know, me pulling all that together. Right. So now I own 100% of the company back. I had no money, but I owned 100% of the company. <laughs> and then the other weird thing that happened is that the customs broker called me and said, hey, Brian, we've just screwed up. You know, we just sent 2,000 pairs of Uggs to, to Thunderwear and 5,000 pairs of Thugs to you. And, I just, and as much as I wanted to destroy those Thugs, you know, I said, well, I need my 2,000 pairs more. Yeah. So I called the guy up. He was just up in, in San Clemente, which was real close. Sure. And uh, I drove up in, in my van. I had his boots there and we, we traded them out. And then I was driving back to San Diego and, and between San Diego and, and Orange County, there's about a 30 mile 
a stretch where it's the the Camp Pendleton Marine Base. So there's no mm-hmm. house, and, and it's like every time I get back into that area, I go, I'm, I'm out of LA, you know. Yeah, and it, it's really cool. I was cruising along, and I was thinking, you know, how come? How come we couldn't keep boots in our warehouse for 24 hours? And the thugs warehouse, which was bigger than our warehouse, was floor to ceiling full of sheepskin boots after Mm. Christmas. And it made me realise, oh, my God, the loyalty of my customers was so powerful that they would rather forgo, you know, four million sales at retail yeah. rather than by somebody who they knew because it went through the industry real fast what had happened. And so everybody just tr- scrambled to get as many Uggs as they could and they refused to buy the thugs, right? That's and amazing. so that was the power. I didn't realise what I'd been building for 10 years, 12 years over all those millions of miles and, and visiting every single retailer that I had in the customer base i pretty much knew every one of them and had visited their stores and all the local you know california yeah. ones that i was buddies with and they were so loyal that they refused to buy the thugs and that's that's a real testament to customer service now now sure we're is. in we're in a different world now instead of personal relationships where it's clicks and websites and mm-hmm. who's got the slickest facebook ads and who can you know get and and a lot of companies will will sort of just focus on the sales and filling orders, but not, you know, I've got this one client, like I do consulting for, sure. you know, clients who I think have a really good product or industry and I like them. And so there's one girl, she's got this lamb leather sash bag. It's, you know, pouch in the front and back, brilliant product. It's, it's got all the earmarks of being another rug, you know, so I'm in yeah. love with that. And Ever since the beginning, I've been with her about eight years, she, she's been sending out a note in every bag, hey, thank you. And then within two weeks after, there's a phone call follow-up, hey, did you like your bag? How are you doing? Well, over the course of eight or nine years, she's got a mailing list of about 80,000 people. She's got nearly 6,000 women who are in the Sash Sisterhood. They're, they're yeah. ones who own more than one the bag. Sash Sisterhood, I love right? that. And these Sash sisters are just on fire for Sash. So they're out selling and referring. And, and it's so powerful that, you know, we did this, you know, crowdfunding campaign and we, we said, okay, if we hit a million, we're going to have a Sash bash, right? So we're, going, we're, inviting, <laughs> we're inviting anyone in the Sash sisterhood to come to San Diego and here's where the location is and it's a free night on us, Right. Would you believe like three to 400 people showed up? <laughs> I do. Not, I actually do believe that. Not knowing a single other person that they were going to meet. And they spent the weekend just meeting all the other Sash sisters. And now there's this whole new level of, you know, VIPs and, you know, all that. So the point I'm making is it is possible to reach out through the internet and develop a really solid base of customers mm-hmm. and give re- if you give really good customer service, the loyalty of these women is so not, like right at, you know, the pandemic and all the other shit that's happened. Yep. These Nash sisters have sa- saved the business, you know, their passion for it and the, the, the patience they've had waiting for product that's late coming, you know, from, so the point is if you own a business that's online Start working your customers because they're the source of your longevity and the yeah. source of your profitability. Yeah, and get to know them. 
get to know them the best way you can. We had, um, this is a while ago, back when I was in New York, one of our, one of our businesses was a sip and paint company where it taught people step-by-step how to paint while they're in a bar or restaurant. I love that. I I would call, I would call people and they'd be so surprised. Oh, you're the owner. I'm like, yeah, but you're the customer. You're more important right now. Like what? And I just ask them all kinds of questions and they, and it it works so well for us. So well for us. I was very fortunate. My, my, my father was, was kind of the one that kind of imbued that in me uh, watching him do business, shaking hands and meaning it and looking yep. someone in the eye and, oh, and taking though. feedback. Cause as you said, that patience that someone has, cause not everything goes as planned. That's right. Yeah. And they can be your big, biggest advocate when it's, when you need it the most. Yep. Yeah. So I'm going to finish answering your earlier question. Did it grow like this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that segue, but it's a good one. Right. Yeah. Um, so here we are like 15 years into the business and I've, I've now refinanced. I've got production, sales is working, the company's profitable. And, but we've got all these images. We've got the surf image and the skate image, and we've got the snowboard image, and we've got the hockey image. And I'm going, shit, you know, I really want a nice, cohesive brand image that I can promote, you know, mm. all across America. And so I came up with the description of casual comfort, right? And I, and I made this goal that I want to I do a press release about casual comfort and get it on the front section, the front page of the style section of USA Today, right, the newspaper. And so I had money now. I spent 60 grand on this PR agency in, in Boston. Good. And, and we... Uh, developed this press kit which is touchy feelings you know little samples of sheepskin and great photographs and the story of arg and who all the customer about you know different categories are and we spent about a month putting all that together and and i made an appointment to meet with margaret the fashion editor at usa today in chicago right so we timed it and we worked our way you know from new york we did a couple of you know press releases there and we went Philadelphia and we're practicing all I'm doing is practicing my pitch for Margaret right mm-hmm. so eventually we show up at the USA Today building in Chicago at five to three our appointments at three o'clock we're at five to three and 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 you know this the receptionist told Margaret and Margaret comes running out going oh Brian Brian I'm so sorry I've got a you know conference call I've got to be on at three I've got five minutes and I just thought oh shit Shit, you know, my presentation's 35, 40 minutes, right? Yeah. And so, again, laterally thinking, like a good entrepreneur, right? Uh-huh. I just reached down into my briefcase and I pulled out this tatty old folder, you know, like a, you know, like a file folder like this. Yep, right? yep. And I had all these photographs in it um, of all these celebrities that had, you know, I'd kept this thing for years, Right. And right from the beginning, there was Neil Young and Tom Petty and Sting and, you know, Patrick Swayze on the set in Hollywood and the grumpy old men, you know, in that from that movie. Oh, yeah. Yep. And Brooke Shields. And, and then there was this one of, of this, you know, Pamela Anderson on the beach with a red swimsuit in Ugg boots, you know, with a script there. And I quickly flicked by that because that's not how you wear Uggs, right? Nope. <laughs> and, I go, and I go straight to Pamela Anderson, you know, in front of a fireplace and and Margaret goes, go back, go back. Who is that? And she grabs this thing of Pamela Anderson out of my hand. 
and and it was a tabloid page from a London newspaper someone had sent me. And so she copies down the name of the newspaper and the name of the photographer. And she says, do you have a press kit? And I said, yep. She says, got to go like four minutes. Right. Wow. And, and I just looked at the girl next to me from, uh, from the PR agency. And I just said, we just blew 60 grand, you know? And so the next morning I I'm on the way back to, to uh, you know, California and I'm in Chicago O'Hare Airport and I got my coffee and I got USA Today. And uh, I, I'm expecting like nothing, like nothing's going to happen overnight, right? So I go through the main page and read all that and I get to the money section and I read it out and I turn the page and there in the front of the lifestyle section is a photo of Pamela Anderson. Now I'm choking up because this was so incredible. Oh, yeah. And, and the little blurb underneath, but the next inside page was nothing except UG and the sheepskin industry, the shearling, the history of sheepskin, how oh, sheepskin amazing. plays in the fashion. She listed all my competitors, which really, really pissed me off. But, <laughs> but, there's, but there's a better ending to that story, mm-hmm. right? And And when I got back into the office that afternoon in California, I found out that the phones had not stopped ringing from customers wanting to know where's a retailer in my area from all over the country and retailers from all over the country saying, shit, how do I stock these Ugg boots? Everyone's calling right. me to, 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 to buy them, you know? And so that took the trajectory into the real beginning of the upstage. So I'm going to go back to the customer thing, right? I was so pissed off. And I'd done all this work, all this creativity. None of them would have ever thought of doing this marketing campaign. And But what happened, there were certain big, big retailers that I hadn't got into yet, like Nordstrom mm-hmm. and, you know, Kinney and Tom McCann. You know, they'd, they'd nibbled, but they'd never bought in. And suddenly they're all calling me. Brian, we need to see you. You know, we need, we'll be in the office, you know. And so... I went up and they started placing these huge orders and and they told me, you know, when you were just an item, we can't take a risk on an item, you know, but now you're a category and you are the leader of the category. And so that's why we want you. Remember Nike and Reebok, you know, Mm. they were the leaders of that category when the situation turned. Well, now I've got the, you know, the whole America turning and they want the leaders. So, So that, just sucked us into the hundreds of thousands and, and increasing the millions, you know? And so there was another thing that coincided right on the tail end of that. And this was just the year I was selling the company. I'd, I'd already met the guy that I wanted to sell to as a public company. And during this year, I had a call from uh, this girl in England. Her name was Trudy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she was like a pain in the ass customer because uh, we had to get every Christmas was 20 pairs, 20 different mailing addresses, 20 different yeah. customs forms. It was just right when we were the busiest, you know. But we kept doing it because it was Trudy Styler, who's the wife of Sting, right? Oh, we okay. Wanted, yep. We wanted to be part of that whole celebrity thing, you know. And so anyway, during this year, she called me and said, Brian, Brian, I need the most perfect pair of size eight tall sand boots you know, I've just been to a seminar. It's changed my world, and I want the best gift in the world. You know, she said, "Do you have a pen? I want to tell you where to send it." So I said, "Yeah, I'm ready." So she goes, 
Oprah, care of Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> Chicago, right? Oh, and man. so we sent the boots out and immediately we got an order for like 20 more pairs for the staff, you know, and then that began the dance, you know, between me and the Oprah group because I, because I, after I sold the company that year, I stayed on as a consultant. And one of the main things I did was to shepherd this Oprah connection because, sure. you know, she couldn't, she was savvy. She couldn't publicize it knowing that we couldn't fulfill the orders. So right. it, it took, and, and if it had been with me, Ugh, I could never have financed it. But because Decker's now, you know, there was a public company, they were able to finance it. I worked this out. So we got it to where a year or two later that we were on the best picks for Christmas and Oprah's favorite things and like 20 minutes of nothing. But this is when Oprah was at her absolute peak, yeah. right? 20 minutes of nothing but Ugg boots. The elves are running around in Ugg boots and, and the whole, you know, all the audience is getting Ugg boots. And, and oh, I mean, you, couldn't, you could not have paid for that amount of publicity, right? Yeah. And that that then after I saw the company, and that's what rocketed Arg. That was a, like a societal shift for Arg, and they went to the you know the hundreds of millions and eventually the billions. You know, so there's a huge amount of luck involved. There was luck involved with <laughs> Margaret in Chicago. Just lateral thinking, you know. Yeah. Who would have ever thought that? And then this connections to to Oprah, you know, but. You, those situations only happen when you work your ass off for 10 or 15 years. Right. Right. right? So it's, it's, you know, and I, I've got these four mantras, you know, I, I, you don't have to write them down, but maybe people, you maybe you can post this on uh, your, your show notes because for sure. Absolutely. This, this, this is a philosophy that I've, I, I read this 20, 25 years ago and I typed it out and put it on the inside of my daily planner. Right. So every all the time I open up my planner, I, I remember that. But here's the four mantras, right? Feast upon uncertainty, mm. fatten upon disappointment, invigorate in the presence of difficulties, and enthuse over apparent defeat, right? And those, uh -huh. uh, like if you look at the first word of each four, it's so positive. And the last word, so negative. Yep. But this, this mantra is the click that shifts you from one side to the other. Mm -hmm. And defeat, you know, it says enthuse over apparent defeat because defeat is not a real thing until the second you give up. Right, it's you, an option. You're never, look at me at that yeah. trade show, you know. I was not going to admit defeat. I was going to hang in there and, you know, and when I, even when I thought I was defeated, I wasn't, right? It, it's, Many times, it, it you seems. You just got to hang in there and keep going. And yeah. those four mantras are just so, so powerful. And, that, you know, that's another part of my book. I've got all this shit in my book because it's, it's yeah. just a, a, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, a fountain of wisdom for everybody. So it seems that it, it, like the product is fantastic. Yeah. But, but Brian, like your, your, your mind and your attitude, it, it couldn't exist without that. Well, maybe I, somebody else, somebody else might've done it, but I, I just have, <laughs> but be, you did. <laughs> I just have to be the guy that had the aha on Malibu beach, you know, yeah. with cold feet, you know? Yeah. So, so you know, it's the universe has a funny way. I, I swear. And, and, and I think that, out of this process of, you know, I, I, I ran the company and owned it for 18 years. 
and the shit that happened, the lawsuits, the customers that didn't pay, mm -hmm. the, like it was just plotting and plotting. But looking back, I, I got a lesson out of every single disaster. I got a lesson. Yeah. And I think that that was the universe's way of saying, oh, okay, let's test this guy, man. And yeah. Let's make him discover Ugboots. And, yep. and you know, it's, it's a joke. The whole universe is a joke, you know. But that was my path, and I'm so blessed that it fell in my lap. But but I've had a lot of businesses since. It wasn't that's you know. Here's another thing. We were talking about this earlier. We get this identity crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Who the hell am I? Yeah. And especially when you like you know you mentioned selling your business and having no aim. I yeah. sold UG, and for ages I had no aim. But I ended up starting a, a business in the concrete and steel industry. And I ran that up and that one got wiped out during the 2009 recession. Mm. You know, the construction stopped worldwide. Stopped, yeah. so, so I lost you know, a huge fortune in that. And, and I was aimless again. And luckily I thought, you know, now would be a good time to write a book about UG. And that was, that was literally <laughs> the situation. That's so good. Yeah. You, know, you know, your greatest disappointments become your greatest blessing. That yeah. led me to this. This led me to speaking on stage. And so for the last 10 or 12 years, I've had this fabulous career speaking to entrepreneurs all over the world. And so if any of you watchers or listeners are uh, seeing this, I love speaking to entrepreneurial groups, just like I met you at the mm. uh, Maverick, Maverick conference. Yep. You know, I spoke there and that led to this. And, yeah. and I, I love speaking. So if any of you out there are looking for a really great keynote talk, and inspirational and funny and, and I can really do something for you. So contact me through the website, which we'll mention later. Yeah, we'll but, put up, we'll put all the, the information in the yeah. show notes and I can contest. It's a, it's a great yeah. show too. You're, you have a, a nice presence that goes along Thanks. with the story. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love it. So, you know, I love entrepreneurs. And so, you know, that, that really was, was like another chapter, you know, I had, I had to come through, okay, who am I? I'm, I used to be Mr. Ugg. You know, and then I finally realized I'm always going to be Mr. Art, right? Yeah. But now I'm Mr. Concrete and Steel, and then I lost that. And then it's like speaker. Okay, now I'm Brian Smith Ugg again, you mm -hmm. know. And then, you know, the recession, you know, sorry, the, the, the pandemic came in. Mm -hmm. I had like, you know, 50,000, 60,000 worth of bookings for, for two or three months, wiped out, gone. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, who am I again? And and so we, we're all at the time into trying to figure out who I am. And if you ever get stuck in that mo moment, you can be anything you want. You know, it's, it's what do I want to start next? You know, I, when, when you were at five years old, you were totally in control of your life. You knew who you were. Yeah. You, know? you knew who all your friends were at school, preschool or whatever. And then when you're 10 and you're 15, you start to lose who you are because of, pressure of teachers and society yeah. and parents and shit, you start to lose it. 25, it's like, fuck, you know, no yeah, one told you when to run. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then 30, you start to develop a different you know, impression of who you are, especially if you get married, now you're a dad and, mm -hmm. and that's important. And then 40s, you're trying to build up a nest egg to retire on a 50. You know, so who you are is always changing. Yeah. And, and you got to embrace that and look forward to the next iteration because you've got this spark inside. It knows. It knows. you just got to go in and meditate and ask, and eventually you'll just figure that out.
Yeah. I, what I usually tell people is surrender to who you really are. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, cause that's what I had to do. Once I, I gave up the fight of not being that person because of yep. who other people thought I was, or at least who I thought other people thought I was. <laughs> um, right. That's, <laughs> that's, that's when, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's when it all, it all became clear is when I just surrendered, but just be me. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Brian, th- this is, I, I, this is, I love listening to your stories. Um, this is such a fantastic uh, opportunity that we, we had to, to, to sit with you and thank you so much for being here. Um, I, I know my listeners are going to appreciate it. I, t- I got to tell you, there was a couple question marks in my business that kind of towards the end, we were, it, it, um, it, you, it really became an aha moment. Some of the things you were saying in a bu- another business that I have on how I have to handle it and how I have to look at things. So right. maybe it's the universe conspiring for me. Yeah, it is, man. It's there. It's the roadmap yeah. for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, we yeah. both come a long way since we met at Maverick. True story. True yeah. story. I'm really pleased to see you doing so well. Yeah, same. Same. And I hope we get to see each other actually in person uh, again sometime soon. Yeah. yeah. You're down in San Diego? Yeah, still here. Cool. I will let you know next time I'm there. Sounds good, buddy. Well, thanks. Goodbye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this. And for sure, contact me if you're looking for a speaker or, or yeah, that's it. I'll leave it there. Yeah, it's perfect. Perfect. All right, brother. Thank you so much. See you, Tim. Thank you again for joining us. And if you like what we're doing with the entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs and want to show your support, the best way to show some love is to subscribe and leave us an honest review. We also have a Facebook group where we continue these types of conversations and so much more for all of our continued growth. I can't wait to see you in there.